Hello, dear listener. This is Tanner here with Tanner Talks About Stuff That Happened. A reminder that these episodes about Ukraine and Russia are not scripted. They are reporting as quickly as events happen, as often as I can get them. Sometimes I will misspeak. Sometimes I will say things that are untrue, simply because the information that I have at the time is all that I'm being given. In the future, we may look back at things I say here and we'll realize, oh, he was totally wrong about that. But remember, I am doing this because I want people to be as updated as I am, because I'm trying to stay as updated as possible about the events that are happening and trying to report them as unbiased as I possibly can. So with that being said, please give me grace if I misspeak, and please remember that I'm trying to do my absolute best. Without further ado, enjoy this one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome again to the podcast. My name is Tanner, and I'm talking about stuff that happened, and today we're talking about how the war between Russia and Ukraine has officially reached its second, uh, third week of fighting. Today marks the two-week mark since Russia invaded Ukraine, and we're going to talk about how far Russia has gotten in that time, the frustrations the Russian army is feeling, and uh, what's going on in the international stage in the past 24 to 48 hours. Now, I didn't release an episode yesterday. I was hoping I was going to be able to, but like I said two days ago when I released an episode, I was starting to feel kind of sick. Yesterday, that sickness hit in full swing. I don't know exactly what it was. It was some kind of cold, I think. I was coughing. I had a really sore throat. I was very congested. And I'm feeling way better today, but I've still got some really bad congestion in one of my ears. I literally can not hear very well out of one of my ears because that ear is so congested. So I have like minimal volume control right now. I have no idea how loud I'm talking. So if I start yelling into the microphone, I apologize in advance. It's literally because I cannot hear out of one of my ears because it's so congested. Pray for my safe recovery, please. All right. Remember, if you enjoy this podcast, please head to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Drop me a five-star review and let me know why you enjoy the show. It really means a lot to me, and it will help other people get involved in, in the podcast. And so we can keep spreading this information that we're trying so hard to get out to people so they're getting as accurate information as we can get at the time. So... First, we're going to talk about what's going on on the ground. I'm going to get a little bit fired up about some uh, misunderstandings I'm having. I'm seeing a lot of in the global geopolitical, you know, Twitter mob, people calling for certain things. I'm going to get kind of fired up talking about that. And then we're going to talk about um, good news concern. We're going to talk about the refugee crisis. And then we're going to talk about good some good news coming out of uh, the Ukrainian military. So I am very open about the fact that uh, for the most part, I stay unbiased when I'm telling historical stories. It's become, I'm sure it's become apparent to most of you that there is a clear bias that I have in terms of covering this war and that I do favor the Ukrainian people. From the onset, I tried very hard to be unbiased. At this point, since we're seeing Russia perpetrating a series of war crimes and the Ukrainian people being terrorized in their homes, there's a, there's millions of refugees fleeing Ukraine. Russia is killing civilians, um, Ukrainians are trying heroically to defend their homes. I am siding more with the Ukrainians more and more every day just because I believe the Ukraine has the right to be a sovereign state. I believe their borders should be respected and I believe the people should be allowed to fight for their homes and to fight not to be under the authoritarian Russian rule. So I'm just going to be open and honest about that from here on out. And uh, with that said, let's get into what we're what we're talking about here. So on the ground in Ukraine, what are we seeing in after two weeks of the war going on? 
Well, first of all, I think Russia's very, very frustrated because they have not seen nearly what they expected to see within the first couple days of fighting. Um, there was there were rumors coming out of Russia that Putin was saying things like Kiev could be taken in 11 minutes if we decided to invade Ukraine. Uh, or, I mean, most of us might have, even in the back of our minds, believed that Ukraine was going to fall fairly, fairly quickly. We did not believe that the Ukrainian military, which was ranked 88th in the world at the onset of the war, would be able to withstand the might of the Russian bear, with the Russian military being ranked third in the world at the onset of the war. So, with that said, we're two weeks into the conflict and Russia has only been able to capture one major population center. I believe there are seven major population centers, including Kiev in Ukraine, and Russia has only been able to capture one of those, which I think has deeply frustrated Putin and the rest of the Russian commander, uh, commanding officers because Russia is being somewhat humiliated in this fighting. Now, a lot of that has to do with the fact that Ukraine is has just hundreds of thousands of weapons and billions of dollars worth of military aid flooding into the country um, from dozens of Western countries. Maybe not dozens, but at least a dozen Western countries. And because of that, Ukraine has one of the best equipped militaries in the world at the time. Right now, I believe that I read an article today saying that Ukraine now has more anti-tank weapons than Russia has tanks. So Russia is going to, as long as they continue to try to just flood the country with armored vehicles, they're going to have a harder and harder time doing so. So where are we at today? Well, two days ago, we talked about how Russia was laying siege to the city of Mariupol on the southeastern coast of Ukraine. And uh, that siege continues. Now, Russia was trying to starve out the city for a few days and they were bombing it periodically. They cut the water, they cut the gas lines and people were starving in the streets people were dying, they were getting bombed, it was a really, really awful time to be in that city. Um, now we are getting more reports, uh, we got a very special report out today that media is just having a heyday with, which makes me a little bit skeptical, because whenever the media really focuses on something that happened, it makes me a little bit skeptical of the events that actually transpired, we'll have to wait a few more days to corroborate to make sure that this claim is absolutely factual, but the reports coming out today are that Russia has bombed a hospital that's supposedly specifically meant for children. I've heard some conflicting reports. I've heard that it is <coughs> a regular hospital that houses... I'm sorry, I'm coughing a little bit, as you can tell. But uh, I've seen conflicting reports. One, that it's a regular hospital, and their uh, hospital has a maternity ward, and some people in the maternity ward were injured. I've also seen a... a uh, report that it was a children's hospital. Now, I don't know which of those is true. I don't know if it's a regular hospital with a maternity ward. Some women in the maternity ward were injured by a rocket attack, and so they're saying it was a children's hospital. Media tends to do things like that. But maybe it really was a children's hospital, and um, the reports that I read said that no one was killed in the attack, but people were injured. Ukrainian civilians in that, in that hospital were injured because it was struck by a rocket or a bomb. And that was that was fired by a Russian military vehicle. And so and so so again, this is considered a war crime. If this was intentional, it is a war crime. Now remember, like I said, I want to wait a few days to make sure that this is a correct news story and that it can be corroborated by evidence because when media jumps on a story like this, it can tend to be blown out of proportion. And so I want to make sure, I mean, I've already seen reports that said like, says like Russian military levels children's hospital, which what I'm seeing from what I've seen about the report is that that's not true because if it was leveled, people would have died. And I'm only hearing reports that people were injured, but 
despite the fact that no one has died from this event yet, an attack upon a civilian center, specifically a hospital, is considered to be a crime of war and a crime against humanity. And so if this was an intentional attack, we need to really fixate on this and make sure we document it because this is considered a war crime. Russian commanders can be held accountable for that in, in an international court after, after the war is over. And so, uh, now from this attack, there's been international outcry. Like I just said, news agencies all over have been talking about it. There have been images on Twitter shared all over the place. I've seen some really horrific images being shared. It's very sad. Um, and the Russian spokesman came out and he said, Russia does not fire on civilian targets. Now, this is a Russian spokesman for the entire Russian government. And so he's saying Russia does not do this. This is not true. Now, we've seen a lot of disinformation coming out of Russia concerning the war because it can, it, that can easily be debunked. And they're saying, you know, Russia, this is a special military oper operation. This is not a full-blown invasion. Russia does not fire on civilian targets. We're seeing that this is obviously an invasion. We're seeing, obviously, they're firing on civilian targets. Within the first 72 hours of the war starting, I saw Russian planes dropping bombs in civilian centers uh, on Ukrainian homes. Uh, we saw a missile hitting a hospital. We know that during the bat during the first attack on Kiev, there was a there were missile strikes targeting metro stations, and so we know that Russia is firing on civilian targets. Whether or not that is accidental or not, we don't know for sure. But because this is happening in increasing frequency, we can kind of assume that this might be purposeful. The Russians may be attacking apart. I mean, I've seen, I've seen images of apartment buildings being completely destroyed, homes being destroyed. We've seen, I've seen images of civilians that are being, that are lying dead in streets. I've seen really horrific things that are showing obviously that Russia has shot and shot at and bombed out civilian targets. And what, again, that might all be accidental with the more I'm seeing that's becoming less and less likely, but we need to not make an absolute judgment until we're completely sure of what's going on here. We know that the Russian government has a tendency to bomb civilian targets. We saw it specifically in Grozny during the Chech uh, during the Chechen wars in the late uh, mid to late um, 1990s, and because the Russians have done that before, it makes sense that they would do it again when trying to achieve a military goal that's becoming more and more frustrating to them. So, the the, the statement that the Russian military does not fire on civilian targets is false. That is an absolute lie. Now, again, these attacks may be accidental, but the, the statement that they don't do it, they never fire on civilian targets, is a lie because it has happened. And if the Russian government was smarter, they would directly address the fact that this was these were accidental strikes. Because that would, international, the international court of public opinion would be more, I mean, even though public opinion is easily, obviously turned against them in a global sense, they'd be able to save at least a little bit of face if they just owned up to these attacks. Okay, some other things happening on the ground. I saw a video today that really unnerved me because there was a column of Russian tanks and other armored, ve armored vehicles, and at least one of the tanks was flying a Soviet flag. It was obviously red, there was obviously a yellow hammer and sickle on the flag, and there was a yellow star above the hammer and sickle. This was obviously a Soviet flag. For someone who has studied the Soviet Union extensively, I know for a fact that this was a Soviet flag, flying very high above a Russian tank. 
Again, we've seen a lot of uh, misinformation videos that have been repurposed to support the Ukrainian cause, and this is propaganda. So I don't know for a fact if this video is propaganda or not, but it's definitely circulating. And if this video is accurate, it's from the Ukrainian front and it was filmed recently, then we need to be a little bit more concerned about this because if, you know, my opinion is that Putin is trying to reestablish the height of the Russian empire from the early 1900s and the late 1800s. That's, that's my belief of what Putin's trying to accomplish here. I don't know that for sure, but a lot of people have said, no, Putin's trying to establish the Soviet Union. I don't totally subscribe to that belief. I don't think Putin is incredibly fond of the Soviet Union. I think he's more involved with wanting to reestablish the Russian empire. But with this Soviet flag being raised over a Russian tank, it's possible that, you know, that this this tank crew is fond of the Soviet Union, and so they put the Soviet flag on the tank, but this could be part of something larger, and we need to pay attention to things like that, because if more and more Russian tanks are flying the Soviet flag, that may be indicative that Putin is actually trying to reestablish the quote-unquote glory of the Soviet Union, which is a little bit more unnerving than if it's just the Russian Federation attacking a sovereign country. Because if they're trying to reestablish the Soviet Union, there are a whole host of countries that are now directly under threat of Putin's desires and his endgame. Um, in terms of the Ukrainian victories on the front, the Ukrainian military has released a statement that they scored a victory in the Black Sea because they launched a missile at a prominent Russian battleship in the Black Sea. They bombed that battleship, I believe it was yesterday, and today that battleship has continued to burn and the reports have come out that that battleship has been sunk in the Black Sea. So Ukraine has sunk a Russian battleship in the Black Sea and supposedly that same battleship that attacked Snake Island where we got that famous... Uh, interaction between Ukrainian soldiers on Snake Island and a Russian battleship where the Ukrainian soldiers said, uh, hey, Russian warship, F you, and the Russian warship took them prisoner. Now, if you remember, I originally said that the Russian warship killed all of the defenders on Snake Island and then took the island. That is actually untrue. That was propaganda released by the Ukrainian military, and the real story is that all Ukrainian defenders of the island were taken prisoner, and they are still alive from what we know. Uh, and Snake Island was taken by the Russian warship, but um, now that if that if that is the same warship that has been sunk, then I believe Snake the fate of Snake Island is still up in the air. We don't know for sure. I saw uh, maybe five days after the initial invasion, I saw that I saw a report or a claim that Snake Island had been retaken by Ukrainian defenders. I don't know if that's true either. Again, a lot of this is up in the air. The fog of the, the fog of war is very strong here. Okay, so that's what's going on on the ground. Very few Russian uh, Russian advances in the last 72 hours or so, maybe 84 hours. We've seen just very minimal Russian advances uh, into Ukrainian territory. Ukraine still maintains most of its major population centers. We know Kharkiv is still held by Ukrainians. Kiev is still held by Ukrainians. Odessa is still held by uh, Ukrainians. And even though Mariupol is under siege and, uh, and it's in dire straits right now, Mariupol is still held by U the Ukrainian military and the Ukrainian people. So, uh, really the only major population center is in the southern part of Ukraine, close to, cr close to the Crimean border, which is the city of, uh, Kherson, which has been taken by Russian, Russian forces. And there are 
Ukrainian protests happening in Kherson right now. Now, there are reports that Russian soldiers have fired on Ukrainian protesters. Those reports are unsubstantiated. They're being propagated by several major news sources. I saw it uh, on, while I was at the gym the other day, I saw CNN saying that uh, Russian soldiers were firing on Ukrainian protesters. I did a little bit more research into that, and I know now that that those claims are unfounded. They are unsubstantiated. While pe- while Russian soldiers are clashing with Ukrainian protesters, I have not heard any reports that any Ukrainian civilians have died in these protests yet. And I've also heard no no credible reports that the Russian soldiers have actually fired on Ukrainian civilians. So do not believe everything you hear. That is untrue. Okay. So that's what's going on on the ground. On the international stage, today, in the last 24 hours, the United States, uh, specifically President Joe Biden, has fully ruled out instituting a no-fly zone over Ukraine. We have completely ruled that out. That will not be put into place by the United States of America. So we need to stop calling for that. So this is where I'm going to get a little bit fired up, because... It seems to me that a lot of people in the United States and a lot of people abroad do not understand what the repercussions of instituting a no-fly zone would be. And this is actually, pardon my French, starting to piss me off a little bit because people do not understand that that could literally lead us into World War III. We're talking millions, potentially billions of people dead from this war that that instituting a no-fly zone could start. And we do not want to do that. A recent poll in the past two days out of... Uh, The United States says 74% of Americans support instituting a no-fly zone. This is from Reuters. 74% of Americans that took this poll want a no-fly zone to be instituted. To me, that means that people don't understand what instituting a no-fly zone would mean. I mean, there are people on national television, on MSNBC, I saw this in the last three hours, on MSNBC trying to institute a no-fly zone, and they're crying and sobbing on national television saying, we need to do something, we need to institute institute a no-fly zone. Do the... They're supposed to bring experts onto these news stations. Do they not understand? Do they... Are they just grabbing anybody off the street who doesn't understand anything to cry on national television and ask for a no-fly zone over Ukraine? Are these just hawkish people? They're grabbing the first hawkish person they can find. Hawkish means people who want war. Are they just grabbing the first hawkish person they can find just to say, hey, come talk on our national radio national radio or television station and cry a little bit so we can get a no-fly zone institute and we can get public opinion to support a no-fly zone. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm rambling about this, but what do these people want? Do they want World War III? Are, are, do these American people actually actively want us to get into a third world war with Russia, which could lead to nuclear annihilation of the entire human species? So, what does this mean? What does a no-fly zone mean? So, a a no-fly zone is instituted when a nation takes jurisdiction over another nation and they say, no planes can fly over this particular territory. If a plane does fly over this particular territory that is not from the nation that is guarding this particular territory, the nation who has instituted the no-fly zone has an obligation to send military fighter jets to the aircraft that is now in the no-fly zone to either escort them out of the no-fly zone or take military action against them. Places where there there are no-fly zones are over Area 51 in the United States. I think in uh, during certain times of 
uh, the year. There, there are no-fly zones over Washington, D.C. You know, places where they want to protect people of interest or other governmental interests, there are no-fly zones. So if the United States was to institute a no-fly zone over the territory of Ukraine, and we would say Russian planes, you can no longer be over Ukrainian airspace. I highly doubt that Russia would actually acquiesce to that. They would say, oh, the United States put a... <coughs> they wouldn't say, oh, the United States put a no-fly zone over Ukraine. I guess we can't fly there anymore. I guess we can't conduct the military operations that we've been conducting over there for the last two weeks. We can't do that anymore because, oh, the United, the United States said we can't do it anymore. If we were to put a no-fly zone over Russia, Russia would say, okay, fine, you're hindering... Uh, you're hindering our military action. Well, we're going to keep doing our military action anyway. And if you want to actually act on that no-fly zone order, go ahead and do it. So say, for instance, we say, okay, no-fly zone over Ukraine. No aircraft can fly over Ukraine anymore. Russia says, okay, fine. Russia continues to send military aircraft into Ukraine. U.S. planes fly into Ukraine and they try to escort Russian aircraft out of there. Russian aircraft say, uh, we're not leaving because we're still doing our thing here. We've got missions to accomplish. United States acts on their no-fly zone order, and they shoot down a Russian plane. Russia retaliates because they consider that an act of war. Russia declares war on the United States. The entire North Atlantic Treaty Organization declares war on Russia and Belarus. And we've got World War III. In a matter of 12 hours... That can happen. Or less. So all of these people calling for a no-fly zone over Ukraine, I understand that they just don't fully understand the repercussions of what could happen there. But that's what could happen. We could go into World War III because we say Russian airplanes aren't allowed to fly over Ukraine anymore. This isn't a matter of us deciding what happens. Russia is obviously not interested in what the United States has to say about their invasion tactics. So, can we please stop calling for a no-fly zone over Ukraine? If you're listening to this podcast, you now have an understanding of what is happening here. Tell your friends. Anybody who's calling for a no-fly zone over Ukraine, saying the U.S. government isn't doing enough, please educate them. I never... I Well, ne not never. Obviously never, because I'm doing it right now. But I very rarely tell people to educate their friends on something because people don't want to be educated on something that they have an opinion on. They want people to validate their opinions. But this is something that requires people be people get educated on this because we are basically calling for World War III. 74% of the people who took this poll by Reuters are calling for World War III. This is a hawkish, dangerous mentality that could lead us into global thermonuclear war. Let's not do that. Okay. Now, there's one more thing I got to get a little bit fired up about, and that's that there's this weird rhetoric going around that Trump loves Putin. D Donald Trump loves Putin and Donald Trump is celebrating this invasion. That's just not true. Like, it's it's just not true. Can we please stop propagating that? Like, sure, Trump has a really terrible way of saying things. One of the big things Trump said is that he was like, well, Putin's a genius. Well, he wasn't necessarily saying he was celebrating what Putin was doing. He was just saying, yeah, those military tactics of sending a peacekeeping force into Ukraine and calling it a peacekeeping force, recognizing the independent republics of Lunetsk, uh, uh, Donetsk and Luhansk, and then using those forces to invade Ukraine when they had already been in there, settled. Like, 
He was saying that that is a genius tactic. He was not necessarily saying that Putin is this wonderful leader and what he's doing is so great. That's not true. And I'm seeing so many freaking news headlines talking about how awful Trump is because he's celebrating Putin. Like, can we just stop? Can we stop doing that? Can we stop focusing and making this a partisan issue? Can we like, oh, Russia invaded Ukraine. Let's use this to target Trump. Like, come on, guys. I'm seeing all these political comments political comics on Twitter talking about how awful Trump is because he's celebrating Putin. Guys, come on. Like, really? Is that what we're focused on? I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I'm being condescending here, but I'm very frustrated that people are making this some kind of political issue to target some kind of some political opponent. They have someone they don't like. They have to use people dying in Ukraine as an excuse to target someone that they are still mad about a year and a half after they've left office. Like, come on, guys, come on, let's not do that. Okay, now, that's out of the way. That's the first time I've gotten that fired up about something since the war started, and I felt it was time for me to say something about it. So, now that that has been said, let's move on to other international politics. The nation of Turkey has offered to host talks between Ukrainian and Russian foreign ministers. Now, these Ukrainian and Russian foreign ministers have not had any direct direct interaction since the war started. Turkey is offering to host both nations at a summit so they can have a moment to talk and see if they can get some, get some kind of peace talk accomplished or maybe float some ideas of how they could resolve this, uh, this interaction. I don't know for sure if the Ukrainian and Russian ministers have accepted this invitation or when these talks will take place, but I'm going to follow this relatively closely. In terms of the refugee crisis going on here, uh, according to the United Nations, more than 1.7 million Ukrainian refugees have fled. One million of those have gone into Poland, 128,000 into Slovakia, 180,000 into Hungary, 79,000 into Romania, 82,000 into Moldova, and 400 into Belarus. Now, a lot of those, uh, a lot more have supposedly gone into Russia, but those numbers are unknown because... Russia has not released any numbers about how many refugees they've accepted into the country. Uh, Russia has completely opened its borders to Ukrainian refugees, but I think Ukraine is reluctant to talk about how many people are going into Russia, and Russia has not released any of those numbers because Russia is reluctant to release any kind of numbers in this war, as we've seen so far, because I've gotten so frustrated trying to figure out how many Russian soldiers have died in this conflict and how many Ukrainian soldiers have died in this conflict, because those numbers could be very indicative of how the war is going on the Russian front. And if, if the amount of Russian soldiers that, again, remember that over 10,000 have died, according to Ukrainian claims, the United Nations estimate is between 2,000 and 4,000, and the Russian estimate is about 500. Somewhere in there is the correct number. I believe it's closer to 3,000 or 4,000. But, <coughs> excuse me, the more Russian soldiers that die, the more Russian people are going to turn against the war. Because we saw that during the war in Afghanistan that the, that the Soviets were fighting in the 1970s and 80s. And the more Russian soldiers that died in that war, the more public opinion turned against the Soviet government. So it's going to be interesting to see as more Russian soldiers go home in body bags more Russian people are going to protest this war. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. So the good news on the Ukrainian front. There's a little bit of good news. And it's one of the stories that is good news is that Belarusian soldiers have... Uh, a, a battalion of Belarusian soldiers have defected from Belarus and joined the Ukrainian army, the Ukrainian Territorial Defense... the International Brigade for, Territor for the Territorial Defense of Ukraine. I think that's what it's called. But... 
It's between 300 and 400 Belarusian soldiers that created their own battalion, defected from Belarus, and have started fighting on the side of the Ukrainians to defend Kiev and fight in other major cities in Ukraine. Joining the more than 16,000 foreign volunteers that have entered Ukraine from various different countries, a lot of NATO countries, and are currently fighting in the country. Now, also good news on the Ukrainian front. The protests that started in Russia on the first night of the war are still continuing, in specifically places like St. Petersburg and Moscow. They're still seeing thousands of Russians protesting this war. We're two weeks into this war and still there are nightly protests going on, which means that these protests will probably continue until the war is over, even though thousands of Russians have been detained by their own countrymen for protesting this war. Because remember, protesting is illegal in Russia unless you are sanctioned by the government. So, a couple good news stories for Ukraine on that front. Um, again, sad things going on in Mariupol as the, uh, the Russian military continues to bomb civilian targets. We're seeing a lot of images of bombed out apartment buildings and bombed out houses. There are civilians that are being killed in Ukraine, and that's very, very sad. But remember, they said that Ukraine would be taken in a matter of days. Even news agencies in the United States were saying Kiev was going to fall in a matter of days, and Ukraine was going to be completely crushed by this onslaught. Well, we're two weeks into this war, and remember, Russia has only captured one of, I think, seven major population centers, not including the capital of Ukraine, since the war began. I think Putin's very frustrated. I think the Russian military is very demoralized. And I think that we are looking at something that may last a lot longer than we initially thought it was going to last. So with that said, stay updated. Remember, if you enjoyed the podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Drop me a five-star review. Tell your friends. Get more people involved with this conversation. I will see you as soon as possible, as soon as we get a few more updates about this war. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. This is Tanner, and I'm signing off. Catch you later.